0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. How are you doing? How's your week been? Great. I'm, I'm I'm hearing a few responses. Some people are like, "It is too early in the morning. I have not had enough coffee to be happy right now." Um, well, welcome to everybody. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. If, if you're a guest with us, thanks for showing up. Uh, my name is Nathan Harris. I'm the lead pastor here at Celebration Center, and I'm excited to be with you guys. We're uh, we're wrapping up a three-part series called Bigger. Uh, our series has been called Bigger, It's and th- we've been working out of a big idea that says we've been invited to be part of a bigger life. Jesus has invited us into a bigger life. And we've been looking at Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 22. And it's been fun for me. I hope it's been fun for you as well. Uh, but we're going to be wrapping up our time in that this morning. And, you know, just to give you a little bit of context, um, as Jesus calls us into a bigger life, we, what does that mean? What does that mean for us to be called into a bigger life? Here at, at Celebration Center, we have a mission statement Okay, we've got something that we want to be about doing everywhere we go and every aspect of the community in which we live, and here it is. Inspire people to follow Jesus, discover new life in him, and change our world. That's what it means to be part of the bigger life, is to be involved in this, is to be doing this. In the first week of this series, we looked at Matthew 4, 12 through 16 and talked about how this bigger life, this life on mission is centered in Jesus, who is the one who is at the very center of God's big story and through whom God accomplishes his plans to make all things new, right? He's the one through whom God does all of these things. Last week, we looked at verse 17, Building on the amazing news from week one that God suddenly and amazingly shows up in the middle of our messes. He doesn't require us to change or to do anything in order for him to show up. He just shows up and he says, hey, I'm here and I love you. He gives us that love, not because of us, but because of him. We heard, but in the middle of that, we heard Jesus's announcement of the kingdom. Hey, the the kingdom of heaven has come near. And there was a requirement for all of us in that, not in order for Jesus to come near to us, but in order for us to join him. He says, come join me in the kingdom. And part of that joining him in the kingdom is to turn away from, it's literally to repent of everything big and small that keeps us from being part of that kingdom. All right, so there's an exchange that we talked about last week. And if you missed either of those two messages, I encourage you, go to our website, ccpuallup.com, and you can click on the sermon podcast link there, and you can get caught up. It's, it would be good. It would be helpful for you to do that. Today, though, we're wrapping up our series about life on mission with Jesus' invitation to join him in living out the bigger life. As a matter of fact, that's our main thing this morning. Jesus invites us. If you are taking notes, Jesus invites us to live out God's bigger story. Jesus invites us to live out God's bigger story. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, you can open with me. We're gonna look at Matthew. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. Open up to Matthew chapter four. We're gonna look at verses 18 to 22 this morning. I'm going to make some comments as I read, and then we'll keep going with the message. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. It says this, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Now, I want to pause here for a minute. Most of the time, I think I I have heard a lot of people say this. I think I've even said it myself. But we think of the first disciples being fishermen as being just these super simple, poor, uneducated people. That actually wasn't the case. Fishermen at this point in time, they they weren't the most wealthy people in the community, but they actually lived fairly comfortably. A lot of people ate fish. So they sold a lot of fish. So they lived fairly comfortable lives. That's the first thing I want you to know about this. Verse 19, Jesus says, come, follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. Now, they, they obviously understood what Jesus meant because verse 20, it says, at once they left their nets and followed him. So they left You got to picture this, these guys who have been able to make a fairly comfortable living for themselves, for their families, they leave that behind to go follow Jesus, okay? All right, so they've left that behind. Verse 21, going on from there, he saw two, speaking of Jesus, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. All right, so apparently they were part of the family business. Not only were they fishermen who were reaping the benefits of this fairly comfortable living, but they were, James and John were part of the family business. Jesus called them, Matthew says. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So for James and John, they they left this fairly comfortable living, but they also left the family business. For what? For why? Because Jesus called them. Jesus called them. I remember I was uh, uh, just about to wrap up my sophomore year at Eugene Bible College, and um, Rick Lewis, Jeff, I'm sure you remember Rick, Rick Lewis came to me and he said, Harris, you need to come to Montana with me and my family. Almost just like that. He's got a fairly gravelly voice. Great guy. I love him to death. You need to come to Montana with me and my family this summer. We'll spend a week. We'll have fun. We'll go fishing. We'll, it'll be great. And I was kind of, uh, 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 sure, okay, I'll come. And he was dumbfounded. He was a little bit surprised. I found out later he never really expected me to accept the invitation, all right? He, uh, apparently what had happened is he had invited numerous people to go to Montana prior to me. I mean, he'd been doing this for years. That's my understanding. He had been inviting students for years to join he and his family in Montana to go fishing, to enjoy the sights, to go see Yellowstone, all of this stuff. And nobody had ever taken him up on the offer until he asked me. Moral of the story, don't invite me unless you really want me. <laughs> because I'm probably gonna accept, all right? No, in all seriousness, that relationship became a very defining thing in my life because through that experience, I got even more, Rick became more than just a teacher at my Bible college, all right? He became a friend. He became a mentor. He became somebody in my life who was speaking truth to me, where I got to grow with him. And sometimes he'd hold a mirror up to my face and say, this ain't right. Okay? That's the kind of community and, and, and investment he, he had in my life, and I grew because of it. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Where you were invited into something that turned out to shape and define you in some way? Jesus's invitation to the first disciples is a little bit like that. It's an invitation into a deep relationship with Jesus that's experienced by joining him in what he is doing. Okay, Participating in big and little ways in bringing the kingdom of God to earth as in heaven. Now, historically speaking, this wasn't the first encounter that the disciples had with Jesus. We know from the Gospel of John, we read early on in the Gospel of John, that that Andrew was actually a disciple of a guy by the name of John the Baptist, okay? He was a disciple of a guy named John the Baptist. And Andrew's first encounter with Jesus was when John said, hey, look, look. There's the Messiah. There's the guy that God has promised to come and to bring all things right, to, set, uh, to, to restore Israel and all of this kind of thing. And, and so at that point, Andrew starts kind of tailing Jesus around, learning a little bit about him. And, and then not too long after that, he goes to his brother Peter and says, hey, Pete, you got to come with me. You got to see the one that we found, the Messiah. You got to check this guy out. So the people Jesus called didn't respond to him out of a vacuum. Sometimes we, we, we think that they did, that this was, Jesus just shows up magically on the scene and, they're, and he says, come follow me. And they're like, okay. But that didn't happen. They, they knew about him. Much like I had a, a, some previous relationship with, with my instructor, Rick Lewis. Okay? I knew something about him. But then we're invited deeper in. We're invited into something more. So before we begin the doing part of the relationship, we have to begin by getting to know Jesus first. And here's why. Our relationship, it's our relationship with Jesus that gives life and meaning to what we do for Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus gives life and meaning to what we do for Jesus. He doesn't ask us just to perform, just to be good enough, just to do it right, just to have it all together. He doesn't require any of that of us. He says, come, follow me. Apprentice yourself to me. Get to know me. Learn how to do life with me. And then I will make you into fishers of men. That's what he says. So number one on your outline, if you're taking notes this morning, doing flows out of being. Doing flows out of being. Last week, if you were here, you heard me talk about the three-step process. Be, become, do. Be with Jesus so that you can become like Jesus so that you can then do the things that Jesus does. Okay? This is not about just performing. This is about becoming who God has created us to be. Have you ever thought that your being who you are came from your doing? Think about that for a minute. Maybe you've thought that Your being, who you are, comes from your accomplishments, your successes, your image, maybe a relationship where you are a spouse or a parent. It's not uncommon in the world. This is what the world says. You have to perform. You have to be certain things. You have to do certain things. And it's those things that define who you are. I remember when I was Uh, I was in grade school. I went to a summer camp once. I was hanging out with some kids. They were all older older than me, and I thought I was pretty cool because I got to hang out with the cool big kids. Uh, And we got into a little bit of trouble. One of those older kids had brought some firecrackers and set them off at the cabin of of another church. And I thought it was all fun and great, and I laughed along with them. And then later on that day, my cabin leader came, and he said, "Uh uh-uh. And he kind of, he got into the face of the kid who brought the, the, uh, the firecrackers to camp with him. And I don't know why, I just remember it was the cabin leader, this kid who brought the firecrackers, and then somehow or other, I had not been expelled from the cabin as the cabin leader was talking to this kid. I was up on my bunk, and I interrupted the cabin leader. Now, mind you, I had been part of the shenanigans that went on, Okay. I'm up on my bunk, and, and I interject as my cabin leader is talking to this kid. He's pretty serious. He's upset about it. And he, he's, he's kind of dressing him down a little bit. And I interrupt, and I say, the point is, you shouldn't have done it. <laughs> and without missing a beat, my cabin leader turns to me and says, you've got nothing to say. I heard you were there, too. And I was like, oh, man. Is there a rock I can crawl under? <laughs> I was embarrassed. Now, that's not an experience that we have only as kids, right? Think about every time you've done or said something to impress someone else, to elevate your image, to elevate elevate yourself in the eyes of a boss or a peer. I'm not slamming us or anybody here. What I'm saying is is this is something we all fall into. This is part of the air we breathe in our culture, in our world. But there is a better way of living, a far better way of living, contrary to what the world knows and what the world elevates. And it's this, let your doing flow out of your being. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it. This is in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. He says this, "'So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord,' Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. In this passage, Paul was writing to a bunch of people who were being pressed to conform to a way of life inconsistent with the gospel. You see, there were a bunch of people coming into the church Uh, Amongst the Colossians saying that they needed to add all kinds of special doing in order to really be following Jesus. Like uh, doing new moon festivals and, and adhering to dietary restrictions and following rules about what was proper and what they could and could not touch. All of these things. And to answer all of that, Paul says to them, all you need to do is to stay connected to Jesus. That is where your life is at. That is where you are going to find wholeness. That is where you're going to find your being. That is where you're going to find your very meaning. It's in Jesus. Why would he say that? Because as we found out a couple of weeks ago, Jesus is the center of God's bigger story. It's all about him. He's the one through whom God is accomplishing all of his purposes. There's it doesn't require me to perform at any level in order for God to do what he's going to do. The success or failure of God's kingdom is not resting on me. It's not resting on you. It's resting on him. Jesus is the center. You see, without Jesus at the center of our following, we cannot live the kind of life God calls us to, let alone accomplish the mission he has for us. It all rests on Jesus. Let your doing flow out of your being. Let your life with Jesus define what and how you do what you do. Prior to going to Montana with Rick, I will never forget the evening he had invited me over to their house for spaghetti. Rick was famous for his spaghetti. He loved to make it for people. And uh, he invited me over to his house for spaghetti and we sat down and he had a piece of notebook paper and uh, we he just started talking about all of the things that we could do, and it was I was like, oh yeah, let's do that, let's do that, let's do that, and we did we did a whole lot of it. And looking back, after that week that I spent there, I was that was the most tired I think I'd ever been. By the end of that week, I, I almost fell asleep on the way home driving by myself. That wasn't good. But um, so we spent that time kind of planning out what we were going to do. But then besides that, we also went out during the the the, the following weeks and months leading up to the summer trip where he took me out on the rivers to to show me how to fly fish. I had never been fly fishing before. So he taught me some of the skill and I learned, I didn't learn everything. I wasn't perfect at it, but I learned some of what I was going to need to apply on the trip. You see, when Paul talks about continuing to live our lives in Christ, rooted and built up in him, this is the kind of thing he's talking about. This continual connection, not letting go of that, only more so. I love, N.T. Wright is one of my favorite authors and theologians, and he says this. He says, at every stage of Christian experience, what you most deeply need is not something other than the king himself. You always need more of him. He is what it's all about. He is what it's all about. No matter how far along we are on the journey of the Christian life, we will always need more of Jesus, not less of him, especially when it comes to doing the things that he's called us to do. We as a community cannot accomplish the mission to inspire people to follow Jesus, discover new life in him, and then to go out and change our world if we are not centered on the son, the living, risen son of God. We have to be centered on him. So let our doing flow out of our being. I've got some homework for us. You ready for it? Here we go. Now, maybe you're newer to following Jesus and you're thinking, man, I don't know. This sounds a little bit weird. It sounds a little bit hard. It's doable. You just have to have an attitude of humility. You have to have an attitude that, you know what? I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to be intentional and I'm going to learn what I need to learn. If you've been following Jesus for a while, don't think you've got it all down. That is the worst place in the world. I can't tell you how many mistakes I have made in my life thinking, yep, I got this. Don't worry, God. Sit down. I got it. That never works out well for me. No matter how many times I try it, it just doesn't work out well for me. So I want to give you some tools to begin using, not to replace Jesus. These are not the added doings like what Paul was combating in, in Colossians, okay? These are things not intended to replace Jesus, but to help us to center ourselves on Jesus. And I talked about these three things last week, but I want to mention them again. Number one, Bible reading. Read your Bible. One of the things that I've provided for you, if you've got your notes on the back of them, there's a, there's a soap devotional you can use, okay? Okay. It's just even just for five days, there's there's five passages, one passage a day. Follow the, the directions on the soap thing. Do a little bit of journaling, excuse me. Listen for what Jesus might be speaking to you. Let him speak to you through his word, okay? So read your Bible. Number two, pray. Talk to Jesus about your successes, your failures, your fears, and everything in between. Invite him into every single aspect of your day, of your life. I don't have it. I don't know what I'm doing. I th- or maybe it's, I think I know what I'm doing, but what might you be having to want to teach me right now? Maybe there's something else you want to be, so I'm going I'm to surrender to you. Go to prayer. Number three, community. We are created to live in community. Sometimes we get the John Wayne syndrome going, right? Put on the guns and let's go do it ourselves. Nobody, listen, the, the New Testament and, and the Old Testament as well is full of examples and, and, and indication and encouragement that we were not intended to live life in a vacuum, by ourselves, we need other people to speak into us. I'm actually really excited because, a little side note here, a little plug for next week, we're going to start a new series called Better Together, and it's based on our value here at, at Celebration Center of community, what it means to live in community, how we do that, Okay? So there's those those three things, and you know there's a whole lot more. There's a there's a whole list of things called uh, spiritual disciplines, and they it, it's you hear that word and you might think, oh, that sounds a little bit weird. I got a picture coming up here of a book. It's uh, called The Life You've Always Wanted. It's by an author named John Ortberg. I encourage you get this. You can get it on Amazon. You can probably find it used, uh, maybe even in a local bookstore or wherever. It's it's a fairly uh, easily read book it's and it demystifies a lot of the the spiritual disciplines okay and it will be helpful for you to see how you might begin to to implement these things not to replace jesus but to be able to more intentionally center your life on him let your doing flow out of your being number two on your outline Our doing is defined by Jesus. Our doing is defined by Jesus. Has any? Does anybody here remember the show American Idol? Anybody remember that show? I I get. I cringe. Every single time, I'm, I'm not one of those guys who likes to watch people make fools of themselves. I guess my heart just breaks for them. I feel embarrassed for them. And so I usually am watching something like that, like this, because I don't want to see, but I can't look away because it's a train wreck and you know all that. But you've, you've, there's at least three or four people every single season who gets up on this show thinking they've been told their entire lives, yeah, Sally Mae, you, you're a great singer. You can do this. You've got this. But they get up there, and it sounds like a chicken right? And it's just terrible. They've got no business being up on a stage singing with a microphone in front of them. The idea that we can be and do anything is not realistic. There are things that I am gifted in. There are things that I am not gifted in. I enjoy watching baseball. I am not a good baseball player, okay? I remember one time in the eighth grade, I got up to bat in a game and I connected with the ball and I lost sight of said ball. Thinking that I fouled it over the back of the backstop, I stepped back in to the batter's box waiting for the next pitch. I thought something was a little strange when I saw the catcher and the, the umpire staring at me without their masks on. Thinking, why aren't these guys ready? And it was about that time that I, in the background, the, the, the roar of the crowd began to filter through my helmet. And, and, the fil- and what I heard filtering through my helmet was basically one word. Run! What I thought had, I had fill out fouled over the back of the backstop actually got lost in the clouds, and it was heading out toward right field. And I almost made it to first base. I'm not a great baseball player. Okay. I'm not gifted in in a lot of these things. Now, maybe I could get better at it with practice, but you know what I am gifted in? You know what I am passionate about? Being a pastor. Doing the things that that a pastor does. God has put those things in me. What has God put in you? What has God put in you? Here's what Paul said. This is in Ephesians chapter two, verse ten. Ephesians two ten. I love this. is one of my single favorite verses in the entire Bible. It says this: For we are God's handiwork. That word "handiwork," there comes a, from a Greek word "poema." We get our English word "poem" from it. it basically. We are God's work of art. And the we there, this is very, very important because the we there can either be we collectively or it can be we as in each of us, each one of us. We collectively and we as persons are God's work of art. Some of you have not thought of yourself that way. You are God's work of art. I'm going to say that again. You are God's work of art. Created in Christ Jesus. There it is, centered in Jesus again. To do good works, there's a purpose in other words, we're not just created to look good, we're created to do something to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God intends us as individuals and as a community to To put ourselves on display, to be put on display by God, demonstrating God's mercy, his love, his grace, his goodness. As we go out into the workforce, as we go out into our families, as we go out into the places that we play. To be that living work of art that demonstrates Jesus. That demonstrates God So when Jesus tells us that he will make us into fishers of people, this is what he's talking about. I will make you. As we are following Jesus and remaining attached to him as the center, we are being renewed. Literally, we are becoming new creations intended to do what he has planned for us to do. This isn't about Nathan's great idea. It's not about your great idea. It's about what God has intended. What he has planned for us to do within the context of what he is doing. Our mission as individuals and as a community of faith is to join ourselves to Jesus so that we become like him engaged in what he is doing. What is he doing? We looked at it at, in the very first message of this series. Those living in the shadow of death, on those living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Jesus calls us light. Light. <laughs> He calls us light, not because we're good enough, but because that's what he makes us into. We are called to engage in what he is doing, to inspire people to follow Jesus, discover new life in him, and to change our world. All right, so I already gave you a little bit of homework. Be centering yourself in and on Jesus, but you can't just spend all of your time only doing that. I can say this because I have done this. (laughs) Anybody here else besides me just done a lot of eating and not a lot of doing? Yeah. What happens? I need to go get bigger pants. Right? (laughs) Right? I'm just being honest. That's, that's what happens. God did not design us to, to live life that way. We need to center ourselves on Jesus. We need to be continually filling ourselves with Jesus, spending time with him, being centered on him, so that then we can go and practice those things. We can put those things into action. If you just receive God's grace... God's love, that's, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with receiving those things. God wants us to receive those things. But what he doesn't want us to do is become a dead end in those things. Okay? He wants us to put them into action. So here at Celebration Center, we've got some things available where you can begin. I'm not saying this is the end all. I'm not saying this is the pinnacle of what it means to get out and to do things. But here are some some things that you can get involved in right here at Celebration Center. Kids ministry. Kids ministry. Did you know that we have around 50 kids a week up there? That is, for a church our size, you know how awesome that is? that is stinking amazing. That is so amazing. But you know what they need? They need God's love too. Guess what you could do? You could invest love into them. There's the kids ministry. We've got administration that happens around here. Katie is busy all of the time doing copying and, and all kinds of things. I'm making phone calls, do, taking care of business stuff. If you've got some inkling as to what it takes to be part of administering things, you could help. That's another opportunity. Another opportunity is facilities upkeep, whether it's inside or outside of the building. Beginning to serve, beginning to put the love of Jesus into action. I know we don't usually think of that as loving, we just think of it as chores, right? But it's actually loving. Here's a point in case. There's actually a study that has been done that people, guests, first-time guests, typically decide whether or not they're going to return to a church within the first 11 minutes that they pull into the driveway. From that moment. You know what that means? That means they've made their decision of whether or not they're going to come back and remain part of us before they ever hear me talk or the worship band play or anything like that. They have made that decision based on what they see. Okay? So that includes facility upkeep. I'm not talking about putting on appearances or being too good for anything. I'm just talking about saying, hey, this is a place where you can feel comfortable and welcome. And along those lines, besides facility, there's also hospitality and ushering. Sometimes in our society, I know we've got this whole Facebook thing going, this um, Instagram, all of that kind of thing. And for all that people post and everything, people have n- never been more isolated from, rela- from genuine relationships. Sometimes the one time a week people have is a handshake on Sunday morning. Sometimes that's what it is. So you are literally giving away this interactive love of God when you join in and you do that. What can you do? I'm not asking you to do it all the time. I'm not asking or trying to guilt anybody into doing more or or anything like that. I'm just saying, where are you at? Where could you start? Where could you begin? If you're hearing guilt in this, it's not coming from me, I promise. I promise. My heart is for all of us to experience what it is for God to direct us. And part of the way that He does that is that we try things. We just jump in. A little bit like when Rick invited me to go to Montana. Okay, I'm in. Sign me up, pick one, begin serving. Again, it's not the end all of what God wants for you, but as you begin to serve within the context of centering your lives on Jesus, you will begin to learn about what God does have for you. Something else outside of these four walls. Out in the community of South Hill and beyond. And, on, and while you're doing that, you'll learn the skill of love, because it is a skill. It is something we have to learn. It's not a duty we perform, it's our destiny. Paul says love never fails, never. It will never come to an end. There will always be need for love, always. What might happen if we were to do this together? I'm not not saying perfectly, all right? I'm not talking about never making a mistake or never having a problem or, or never stumbling or anything like that. I'm saying, what if we were pursuing this as a community of faith together? What would happen if we were to reflect love in big and small ways? As we were centering on Jesus, what could happen in our church and in our city. Let your doing flow out of your being, and let God define your doing. Let's pray. I'm going to go ahead and have the band come on up. Jesus, all of this is about you. There is no part of what we are involved in what we are doing that ultimately does not have its source in you. You have created us to become mature and to be able to kind of live life, not just as kids who are constantly having to be redirected, but as mature, who are able to... To ascertain what is good and right and true and and to be able to launch out in those directions. But ultimately, Jesus, every single aspect of life has to be rooted in you because you are the one it is all about. Here we are. Lord, take over. Take over. our ideas so that we are not co-opting your kingdom into making it our kingdom but rather we are simply joining you in what you are doing. Be the very center of Celebration Center, God. Be the very center of each one of us here. We need you. Maybe you're here and you haven't yet begun your life as a Christ follower, but you, you're you intrigued with the idea of, of getting in on something bigger, something else, joining in with the community and, and, and having your life centered on Jesus. I'm going to say a prayer. Just make this yours. Jesus, here I am. I have tried to center life on me, And that has not worked out in a a lot of different ways. I give that all over to you. And I ask you to be the center of me. Let me get your life. Make me part of your family. Jesus, for anybody who made that prayer theirs, I I ask that you would give them your presence. Give them your spirit. Let them experience your love and your mercy right now. For all of us, Jesus, we ask, have your way. Have your way in us and through us. Let us be defined by you and not by our own ideas. In Jesus' name, his love really never does fail. We will rise and we will fall on the watch of the one we are following and we are centered on. That's good news. Because what that means is that everything we encounter in life, all of the good, the bad, and everything in between, absolutely none of it is wasted or pointless. Because God is able to bring it all into himself and make it, as we're centered on him, he's able to make it part of his bigger story. So let's go this week. Let's let our doing flow out of our being and let's let him define us and what we do you guys thank you for coming this week have a wonderful week and we'll look forward to seeing you next